Hey everybody, before we get started, I want to let you know that this will be the first of a seven-episode series that I'm doing in collaboration with Strategies. Strategies is absolutely amazing. They are one of my favorite business coaching firms located right here in Connecticut, and they specialize in salon business. Strategies is responsible for about 50 or more percent of my business foundation. I learned so much from them while I was opening my team-based salon, Gina Bianca Hair, while I was learning and growing and managing my business. They taught me so much and I really benefited from their coaching. So this series is meant to speak to team-based salons, employee-based salon owners, and anybody aspiring to be a salon owner or understand salon business. Before we get started with the series, we're going to be interviewing Neil Dukoff, who is the founder and CEO of Strategies. He is amazing, one of my biggest mentors, and I know you're just going to love this series. So we're going to have a new episode every month, and I cannot wait for y'all to hear it. Before we get going, I want to let you know that you can learn more about team-based business models by signing up for the Strategies Incubator Seminar. Um, I really love this seminar. It is the only training where the team-based business model is taught from top to bottom. You can save 10% off with my code, GINA10, and all of the links can be found below uh, in the caption of this episode. So under the information section, so you'll have all the links, including the link to sign up for incubator, a link to download the free team-based pay white paper, which is an incredible resource to get started. And then you can even set up a free strategy session with a certified strategies coach. So this is an amazing series. We're going to have a new episode every month, and I just can't wait to see your reaction. So be sure to send this to your friends. Be sure to let us know what you think. Make sure you follow strategies at strategies for biz on Instagram. And yeah, you are going to love this. I promise it's going to be amazing. I've already uh, recorded a lot of the episodes and they're just next level amazing. But this interview is with Neil. He is the founder and CEO and he is the man behind it all. So I hope you enjoy this interview and I hope you have an amazing day. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Gina Bianca podcast. I'm so excited and honored today to share with you guys one of the architects of my life, one of the people who has helped me grow so much and who has had such a big impact on my life and business. I remember when I was 22 years old, sitting in front of my salon when we were just about to open, I remember signing my lease, getting the keys, and then being terrified, like, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? And I remember sitting in front of my salon, Googling salon ownership, salon owner class, salon owner books. And I remember, uh, 
uh, result came up and it said salon owner class in Connecticut. And I was like, oh my God, there's a place in my state. I called them and asked them, you know, if they had books and they said, oh yeah, we have a full library. And I remember never driving so fast from my salon all the way to Centerbrook, Connecticut or Essex or whatever, whatever town <laughs> y'all are in. But I remember driving so fast flying down route nine. I'm just like, I need to get here like before they close. And I remember walking in there, they probably thought I was a lunatic. And I literally walked in, bought every single book. And I remember one of the amazing people at strategies came up to me and were like, let's talk. Like, are you okay? And I told them, I was like, I'm terrified. I'm scared. I need help. I want to do this right. I want to be the best. I don't want to fail. And they signed me up for incubator seminar. And I think I took incubator two or three times, but that course changed my life. And from that moment on, I was hooked on strategies. I was hooked. I was just like, oh my God, this is the answer for me. Like they helped me so much with my business. And as you guys know, I had a team-based pay salon. I didn't have an employee-based commission salon. I had an employee-based salon on steroids, team-based pay. And I hear people talk about, I hear people try to do it, but in my opinion, you can't do team-based pay unless you do it the strategies way. It is the best. And from that moment on, after my first class, I moved on to um, try to do it myself, failed miserably, didn't want to pay for the coaching. And I remember once I started paying for the coaching, we started being so much more profitable that I didn't even notice it coming out of my account. And I never even thought that I could spend any money. It was really, really amazing, the results. And I got to tell you guys, I wouldn't be the person that I am with the knowledge that I have without the backbone that strategies gave me and the foundation that strategies gave me. So I'm really honored to have uh, Neil Dukoff, and he's one of my biggest mentors and teachers for um, business business. And I'm really excited to kind of share with you guys where I get it from. Like, cause people will look at me like, you're so amazing. I'm like, I didn't do this alone. Like I didn't know anything. And I was able to learn so much from strategies and then implement it into my own business, my own culture, my own way with my own words. But I had a great foundation and I want to share with you guys the beautiful foundation that I have. So Neil, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for making the time. I'm so grateful to have you here. I'm honored to be here. And it it, it's great to see you grow and how much you have grown in, in so many different ways. And uh, I admire all that you do. And I'm honored to be here and I'm honored to be your mentor because you said before you started recording that it's like a dream come true. And that just made my day. It totally is. You know, you've had such a big impact on my life. And I tell you all the time, I'll email me message you. I'm just like, hey, thank you. Like, I love you. You helped me so much and you guided me and you took me seriously, even though I'm like that lunatic chick with tattoos that like runs in like late to class. You took me seriously. <laughs> and, um, you know, as a person who did coaching with strategies, I believe for three years, like I was doing like heavy coaching with you guys. I took all the classes and I did what you said. And I think like one of the biggest things is stop trying to be them and do what they say, follow what they say. And I followed the rules. I did it. I tried to do it on my own. It all burned alive. <laughs> and I tried to do it with you guys and it worked. And um, I ended up closing my employee-based salon because my, my life just changed and I wanted to do traveling and education. And maybe one day I'll open an employee-based salon again, but if I ever did, it would be team-based pay. I feel like it is the only way. So that's my opinion and my belief. And I would love to just have my audience get to know you, what you do about your company and your story, because you have made such a contribution to the beauty industry. And I would love to just showcase that. So Neil, tell us your story and your history in the industry. So we have how long? 
<laughs> right? We have plenty of time. Um, I have nowhere to be. Uh, just, just the the really. I'll try and keep it short. You know, I was uh, twenty years old, twenty and a half when I went to beauty school, and uh, and it was something. My, you know, I was looking for something to do. I was in college, and um, that was back in uh, nineteen seventy. You know, where were you in nineteen seventy, Gene? Not even a thought. Yeah, great, thanks. And uh, <laughs> you know, and. and God, that hurts now. You know, so, you know, my mom kept saying, you know, why don't you, why don't you be a hairdresser? And it's like, come on, get out of here, you know, hairdresser. And I went to uh, the salon that she went to in Milburn, New Jersey, and it was a very, very busy salon. It was back, you know, that was, when I started, it was just when Washington sets were being replaced with, you know, uh, precision cutting, blow drying, curling iron, stuff like that. And, and thank God all that happened. Um, but I, you know, I like the vibe and it's like, you know, cool, you know, I'm going to give it a shot. So I went to Franklin beauty school in Elizabeth, New Jersey and, uh, worked for the Glenby company, uh, which was the, uh, big department store chain at the time. Uh, they brought the Chadwicks over from England, John and Susie Chadwick and John and Susie put it in a really great people. I, I got to know them because they were you know, from New Jersey, where I was, to New York City, um, you know, where, where Glenby was based out of in the training center. You know, I used to get in there every chance I could to get in and see the Chadwicks and, you know, schmooze with the big guys because, you know, that never hurts. And uh, and I went to work for Glenby and, and went through their training and, you know, loved that part of the business. But what I really wanted to know is how's business work? And I used to go in on my day off to work with the manager and we had a really great manager and um, he would start to teach me how that particular salon ran. And I did that for three years. And then, you know, the entrepreneurial seizure hit me and I opened my first salon in 1973. I opened a second one in 1975, sold them in uh, uh, end of 1978, beginning of 79 and uh, did, did well. And I convinced my brother to buy my first place. And, but something happened while, while I owned my salons. And that was, well, let's see, uh, I'm busy as hell and I'm behind the chair. And, you know, you know, I was working six days, three nights a week. And, you know, my team's in the back, you know, where, where teams always hung out. And I wanted to flip that. I wanted them to come out and work so I could go in the back or in my office and, and you know, figure out where the hell we're going to take this business. And, you know, I'm, uh, what, it doesn't mean anything really, but, you know, I'm an Aquarian and an Aquarian, you know, you got to wave a flag, you got to have a cause. And my cause was always business. I loved learning about what makes business tick. Um, I got involved with Redkin after I opened my salons and, um, next thing I know, I'm the, uh, a guest speaker on a, a two day business course that they had called the challenge of success started doing that in the late seventies. Uh, and you know, my mentor, uh, is Douglas Cox. So if you, if you Google Doug Cox, um, yeah, he'd certainly be someone that you'd want to interview. He's, he's just, uh, you know, he, he's an incredible motivational uh speaker and, i would love to uh, 
Yeah, I mean, he, you know, just I'll hook you up with Doug. You know, he's he's amazing, and um, you know, but that was my first taste of getting up in front of people and teaching. And the one thing that that I that I kept coming back to was, let me see, you hire people, you hire stylists, you train them, you give them a couple of clients. You cross your fingers that the clients come back and they can build a following so you can hire in a couple more people so they can build the following. And all through that, you hope that nobody leaves and takes the clientele that you told them to build with them. And, you know, I also looked at payroll, you know, when I worked at Glenby. Now I'm going back. I was, I was 23 years old. And when I opened my salon, Eric was six months old. We had just bought it. We moved into a house the month before I opened the salon, our first home. And, you know, 23 years old, you know, you were what, 22 when you opened your salon? So you beat me by a year. Um, and, and, you know, you, you think, you think, you think you know it. And, you know, at Glenbia, I was making 45%. And when I opened up my salon, I'm, I'm paying 50% because half for you and half for me, that's fair. And, you know, you talk to other salon owners and back in the 70s, you know, it was, um, in the 80s and probably still now, you know, 50% was always the magic number. And, you know, so I opened at 50% and I found out in about six months after opening that, that I made a mistake and I could, 50% didn't work and not with the prices that we were charging at the time. And, um, and, and we were, you know, the higher priced at the time, not, not high end, but higher priced. And, uh, but by the time you're done with rent and supplies and all the other stuff, you know, there was, there was nothing left. So I was making money as a hairstylist and working my ass off six days a week, three nights. And I said, something's got to change. And I started thinking about hourly pay. And what if I got everyone off the commission and paid them hourly and based their pay on something more than a piece, a percentage of what they brought in. Because the other thing that I was looking for was right attitude, showing up on time, uh, client retention. And we didn't have computers back then, so tracking client retention was, it was a joke. Um, you know, you, you just, it was almost impossible. And, uh, you know, but productivity rates and all the things that computers do so easily now, um, you know, even retail, you know, why should someone make 50% and they don't care about the retail sitting there, which could help us make money. Um, so I started thinking about this different way. And I did the very early versions of what many years later became team-based pay. Uh, we called it salary for a while, but you really can't pay salary in the industry because uh, according to labor law, uh, stylists, estheticians, massage therapists don't qualify for salary exempt from overtime. Um, computer programmers, teachers, accountants, and whatnot, they call that the professions, but we're a trade. No matter what we say, we're viewed as a trade. And, um, but, you know, I kept working this and, you know, let, let's go from, you know, late seventies and into the eighties where, you know, I, I was, I was doing business classes. Again, I always did that. Um, I, I eventually became, um, I'm skipping some stuff, but I became uh, editor of Cutter Magazine 
that was based in Chester, Connecticut. And uh, Cutter Magazine was a business-only magazine, no advertising. And they were about a year and a half old. And and I came in there, all of a sudden realized that I have, a, I have, a, I have an ability to write, which would have cracked my English teacher up. Uh, but, you know, I... I enjoyed writing and I found that I was I was uh, pretty good at it and I could hit the right notes that people would listen to to what I'm saying in my words and and I started their business training I started all their their seminars and the thing that I started there was a uh, pay and performance uh, salary uh, not commission program and I'd go out and teach that all over the country and yeah, you know, I think way back then, and, and this is like 1981, you know, I think people came to the classes to see who the idiot was talking about doing something other than commission. And, but when they sat there and they listened and they began to understand that, you know, you can't pick a commission rate, like what feels good and put it into your business and base employees' pay entirely on a percentage of what they do and even sliding scales and and multi-level you know well if your book's solid then we'll raise your prices and if you get busier then we'll hire you an assistant but then we got to argue over who's paying for the assistant and let's double book which you know does does double booking compromise the customer experience because now you're trying to run them through as fast as you can for the dollar and you know and and now it's arguing with with who's more important the dollar or the client so I always wanted the client to come first, but I also wanted to pay people well. And, you know, so I was out teaching that. And then uh, I started strategies in 1993, September 13th. It was a rainy, misty day <laughs> that we moved into uh, 40 Main Street in Centerbrook, Connecticut, which now we, we, we had a small office there, but now we have uh, the whole first and second floor and uh, it's kind of fun to go downstairs and I could see, hey, here's the room where I started this thing in. But we went out very early with, you know, we, we just decided to call not commission or not paying commission and paying an hourly rate with a team bonus. We started calling it team-based pay. And that's the name that stuck. And it, it's been out there, you know, strategies is uh, 27 and a half years old. And, you know, team-based pay is now talked about, like, uh, whether it's commission or piece rate or rental or, or whatever, it, it's one of the pay programs out there, uh, kind of, be, it's like Kleenex. Um, but team-based pay is pay based on overall performance. It's not you bring in $1,000 a week or $2,000 a week and you get half or 45% or 60%, whatever the number is. It's not about the dollars, it's about the performance and it's about the experience you're creating for the, the client, but it's also about growing the company. And if the company, the company, the salon, the spa, uh, you know, we do lash companies, med spas, all kinds of stuff like that now. And the company can't take care of its employees and pay well if the company's not doing well. So team-based is about culture and it's about growing a company and it's not com about competing with the employee next to you. 
that you go on vacation and you come back and you see a couple of your clients in somebody else's chair and it's, ah, that's my client. And all, all, it, it's all the nonsense. It's all the nonsense. And, and for people, as, as you discovered, people who learn the program, and, you know, that's something we teach at Incubator. It's our four-day seminar. We've been, we, we did our first Incubator about six months after I started Strategies. And, but it's a business model. And if you took team-based pay out of it, if you didn't talk about the pay, you have to begin talking about what type of business do you want to grow and what type of culture do you want? What kind of values do you want to live by? And it goes so far beyond how much money do you want to make? And how do you plan for how much money you want to make? And how do you manage the cash when it comes in? And what are the critical numbers that you drive? So, and, and, and if you learn how to do that, and you got to learn leadership and you got you, you, you to gotta be disciplined to, to be you know, a business owner. You can have fun. You, you can be, you know, friends with your staff, but you still, you have to be the leader and you have to show up uh, on purpose and you have to show up committed and you got to believe in your freaking vision that got you so excited about opening a salon or spa or med spa or whatever in the first place. But it's about hiring people, whether they're experienced or out of school or whatnot and giving them a career. And the career isn't about just building a following that that's that's where the industry went wrong and and that's where the the early 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 salons from from you know back in the 20s and 30s 1920s and 30s i guess we have to clarify that but you know you go back 100 years and you look at salons it was you know they were they were little mom and pop places and you hire people in and they they grew because people built followings but today you got to build a company you know even if there's two or three people you know as we have people go you know i'm really small and does it work for me yeah, yeah it works the minute you hire someone you got to be team-based and what you don't want is is that i me mine and and ego and and all the other stuff that gets in the way um that winds up hurting your business and especially building up people and they leave and they take their following and they get in cahoots with the front desk and they're stealing uh, uh, databases and, you know, all kinds of crazy. And, and it's ugly. And, and owners feel so hurt when it happens to them. But in a lot of ways, they set themselves up because commission is I, me, mine. Commission is if I bring in a thousand or two thousand, here's how much I make out of that. And I don't want you going to seeing anybody else and you're my client. And we train the clients to be loyal to, to an individual, not loyal to the company. So we believe in do great work, come to work, have a career. Uh, it's not all about just how much money you bring in. It's about what you're part of and it's about what you're building. And that, that's why I said, you know, when I began this tirade, um, we have how many questions you want to get through here today? 
Yeah, but no, it's such a good start to like yeah. what you do and why you do it. Like you hit on the pain points that every salon owner feels like that fear of like, oh my God, I'm building all this. Like, I hope they don't leave. And the struggles of working behind the chair. And the only way you make a profit is if you're working. And if that's how your business is set up, that's the outcome that you're going to get. So that was a great bird's eye view of it. And I want to jump into um, the, the question. I hate when people say they're doing team-based pay um, without the business model. And if I can just put out there that when I took incubator, I opened my salon and was like, I can't afford coaching. I'm not doing this. I get it. I'm smart. I'm intelligent. I pick up quick. I got the books. I got everything. I was like, I'm good. Do you want to know what I did? What'd you do? I hired way too many people. We were not 80% productive. So whole business model messed up there because you hire when you're at 80% product productivity consistently, right? First mistake, I hired all of these people. I paid them hourly and then I would give them a goal, but it was a service goal. I was like, you have to meet this number. And then I would have these meetings with them and just be like, this is what I'm, if I go off of your numbers, this is what you're making per hour. And like, you're not pulling your weight. That's what I used to do. You know and what like, we call that? You know, you know what we horrible, call that? Nightmare. Like how traumatizing. Yeah. I traumatize so many people, I bet. Well, what happens is, you know, hourly rate is not team-based pay. It's not. And that's like, and, if I could scream and, anything from the rooftops, it's. Yeah. Our hourly rate, you know, we started calling it just, just by, I don't, I don't know if I said it or one of my coaches said it, but we just started calling it not commission. You know, because if you're paying hourly and like you just said, you got to do your numbers, you got to do your numbers, you, you know, because because if you do the, this is what I'm paying you. And if I'm paying you this, you should be doing that. And that's commission. It was commission with yeah. hourly and then using guilt and anger and fear to lead. <laughs> And like, oh my God, what a freaking disaster. Like, it was awful. I remember like people left. It was like a whole thing. And I was just like, what am I doing wrong? And I remember getting on the phone with Michael and he was my coach at strategies and I love him to death. And, you know, I remember getting on the phone and being like, well, I'm doing this and why won't they just do this? And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, like. It was just like, no, stop. You're doing it. And the, the tough strategies, tough love too. Like, it's kind of just like, no bullshit. Like, no, like, it, and it's a, such a strong system of like, this is what you do. And I'm so grateful for that. And like, when I started hiring, when we needed people focusing on the guest experience, um, the communication and work, I, I would love to talk about the drivers and outcomes if you, if you're open to that, because that was like, that's huge for me even yeah. now. Let, we we can do it, but I, I want to comment on on what you go. Oh, yeah, just, yeah. Please, sorry, I'm like saying. ranting. You know, it it it's um. You know, why can't they just do it? Well, the system, and the leadership, and the culture, and the behaviors dictate whether they quote unquote just do it. Um, when owners go, and these are all my standard things. Like when owner goes, what the hell were they thinking? Well, what did they know and how did you really guide them and how did you, and if you're behind the chair all the time, you're an absentee owner. 
<laughs> so get that through your head. You, you can't grow a business and, you know, work 70, 80 hours a week or even 40 hours a week behind the chair and think you can manage five, six, 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 people, whatever size your business is. You know, it gets to a point where you want to do hair, do a little bit of hair, but you're a business owner and you got to focus on the business. And that whole thing about, um, you know, the business model, if you take the pay out of it, you know, team-based pay has, uh, you mentioned team-based pay to people, and they go, oh, God, that team-based pay, that's a cult. No, it's a pay method. It's not a cult. You know, it's not it's a, a religion business model. Either. Yeah, it's a business model. It, it you know, well, you know, and, and you know, well, I, I don't like team-based pay. You don't like team? You don't like team-based that's impossible. If you're in business, you have employees, you're a team. So you, you got to be team-based. And then there's the pay piece. Well, and it, no, they shouldn't earn a piece of what they do. Well, how much money are you making? <laughs> you know, what's your commission rate? Well, we pay 50%, 55%. We have a sliding scale from too high to way too high. All right. And, you know, and, and a lot of money comes in, a lot of money goes out and there's never anything left. You know, you pick the wrong commission rate. Even if it's sliding scale, the longer people stay with you over time, they're going to move into the higher pay ranges. And if you're not bringing in lower paid people be behind them, your payroll percent's going up. So you got to understand some basic numbers and, and how they how they tell you what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong and what needs fixing. But that whole thing about let me keep it simple and I'm going to pay them a piece of what they bring in gets you into trouble. You could have made, and you know this now, you know, looking back, if you would have hired half the number of people and got them busy, you would have made a boatload of money as, as a company, uh, your pay and, and, and a respectable profit and pay those people well because you're utilizing the time you have available for sale, all the service hours that you have available for sale. And it's understanding that concept. It's not, it's not a game of how many employees do I have? And, you know, let me hire this many in and it, like spinning plates. I'm going to start spinning the plate and, you know, then I'm going to get another plate, put it on a stick and start spinning that, you know, and after a while you get so many plates spinning, eventually the first couple plates start falling down and breaking because you didn't have time to pay attention to them. The problem is in a salon and spa, but mo mostly in a salon, when the plate falls, the employee leaves, they take out their flute and they do the Pied Piper thing, you know, and march all their clients down the street to wherever they're going, whether they're opening their own place, uh, you know, or, or booth or suite or, or even just going to another salon because the owner didn't do the math and said, I'll pay you 55 or 60%. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's so easy to poke holes in it and I'm not doing it disrespectfully, but you know, it's the ultimate definition of insanity that if I just keep getting people busy and they build the following and I get all the chairs filled, I'm going to be making money. Yeah, but there's turnover and how are you leading and are you creating the right culture and are people loyal to the company? And here's my biggest asset test. And we, we can go into the, the critical numbers and I, and I ask owners this and I do it to make them uncomfortable. If you look at your appointment book and you look at the top of the column 
and here's all the names of your service providers. And then look at all the names today. You know, look at the appointment book for today. And you look at all the names of the clients that are booked for them under their names. And then ask yourself a simple question. Are those clients loyal to your company that you bet the ranch on, that your personal guarantees attached to, that you've got bank loans and equipment leases and all sorts of other stuff, obligations, you know, are they loyal to the company or are all those clients loyal to the individual whose name at the top of the column? And I'm not saying that it's bad for someone to build a file. Listen, if a client likes somebody and they just want to go back to that person, great. But what if they need to get in and that person's busy and damn it, they'll go somewhere else rather than go into that salon because the stylist is going to have a shit fit because they see their client in someone else's chair and the client feels like they're cheating on the stylist. We trained them to do that. That's the behavior that we trained. And totally. that's, that's that. And that that's the outcome. I mean, I remember when I did hair and a client would come in and 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 they'd go look at this and i go okay i'm looking at it she goes this is your fault why is it my fault you couldn't get me in so i went somewhere else and i got i got eight stylists working around me i mean that that's when i started to think that this this is this business model is broken and it's setting me up for failure that that i'm not building a company that can take care of my people and i have i mean I had people stay with me many, many years after I sold, uh, excuse me, they stayed with, with the buyers, you know, many years after I sold and I'm still friends with some of them on Facebook. And, you know, and we had a great time back then because we believed we were doing something special. We worked and trained hard to do the best work, just like you train people. Now, you know, we did that and we we felt and believed that every haircut that walked out, you know, had had something special that happened because of how we did what we did. And I look back and, you know, was it as special as, as we could do it today? No. But for back then, you know, back in the 70s, it, it was it was special. But people get excited and people stay with because they love the feeling of being part of a company and being part of a team and if they don't then rent the booth or rent a station or or rent a suite or do your own thing if that's what you really want but then you got to do all the other stuff that that the business did for you so you know if you want to be an independent be an independent but you know if you're looking to to be part of something and to be paid well work in a salon where they're doing something special and and it's about growing something special and it's about paying people based on their overall performance so like when your book is full and you can't squeeze anyone else in you should still have if the company is growing in revenue because we're adding people and retaining clients there's more money coming in so why can't you get a raise if you're continuing to do a good job but you can't bring in a you don't have any more room on your appointment book, even if you're double booking or whatever you're doing. Um, you know, the, the benchmark we use at, at strategies, and I need to be very clear when I say this, because I'm going to say it, and I'm going to tell you what not to think, and then you guys are going to listen to me, and you're going to think what I just told you not to think, and you're going to get it all wrong. So I'm already telling you to listen to me, so you don't have to worry about getting what I'm going to tell you wrong. On a profit and loss statement, 
there are two types of payroll. Service provider payroll, where the hands do the work, and then there's general and administrative or officer salary or stuff like that. And that's for, you know, front desk, guest services, a manager, if the manager is not a service provider, you know, uh, your pay as an owner could go there. Um, but that service payroll, the magic number is on a percentage basis is 30 to 35% of total revenue. So if you do a million a year and you do 800,000 a year in service sales and 200,000 a year in retail, 30 to 35% of the million, because that's how it would appear on a profit and loss statement, service sales, retail sales, total sales, and then every total sales is 100%. Every expense under that, including net profit, is a percentage of the 100. Service payroll should be 30 to 35%. Med spas, it's lower because they have to buy really expensive stuff. But for salons and spas, 30 to 35%. So if you're doing a million in sales, you have 300 to 350,000 available for payroll. So you all with me? I didn't say 30 to 35% commission. I said 30 to 35% payroll as it appears on a profit and loss statement as a percentage of total revenue, service and retail. Now, if you take the 30 and th 30, 35%, for every additional $100,000 that that business can generate in revenue, there's another 30 to $35,000 that you can allocate to payroll. Everyone with me? Everyone nod yes. yes. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay. All right. And hopefully no one's still stuck on, well, he said 30 to 35% commission. I didn't say that. I said 30 to 35% of total revenue is where your payroll needs to live. If you want to put 10%, 12%, maybe 15%, or at least have some sort of a bottom line, because you got to pay all the other expenses too. And make a profit. Like it's important yeah, and, to make a profit. And if there's going to be a team bonus, isn't that out of the profit? Well, it, 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 it's out of the profit, but let, let me stay on this. So you have a hundred thousand. If you do an addition, if you go from a million to a million to 1.1 million, you have another 30 to 35,000 available in payroll. If you're on commission, whatever commission rates you're paying, you're paying. If, if you add another hundred thousand in revenue, the commission is going to take it's percent of whatever that money is. Got it. On, on team-based pay, because everyone's getting an hourly rate, and that hourly rate, it's not everybody, you know, people go, well, everybody's gonna get the same hourly rate. You can't pay everyone the same hourly rate, come on. That's a common misconception. They think that yeah, team-based is everyone gets paid the same. I had people it, doing 10, 10 an hour, and I had people doing $30 an hour. And it depended on their experience. It depended on their pre-book. It depended on their productivity, their retention, and the time of service there. It depended on a lot of factors, but I really tried to stay away. When I started doing team-based with the coaching, I really tried to stay away from service and retail. And a lot of them didn't like it. They were just like, why don't you see the service and retail? And I'm just like, you're going to do services. You're going to sell products. It's part of your job. And like, I would look at retail to 
total um, retail to total sales percentage because that's part of their job. But I would look at pre-book. Are your guests coming back? Like, are we growing together and like the guest experience? And I had some of the high, highest performing, amazing artists working with me and they were getting 20 to 25% in tips, 30% in tips. And the guests were coming back raving, sending their friends and we were all growing together. Uh, it was really amazing when you don't focus on money and like, it's all about the money, right? You know, we're, we're all trying to make money. I get that. But like as a leader um, and leading and not, I, when I used to hire people at the salon too, I would say like, I said this to Brian, I was like, Brian, I know you have amazing clients. I know you have a full client book, but just know that I'm not hiring you for your clientele. I'm hiring you for you. And Brian told me that the reason he chose my salon over every other salon, because he was high in demand. Everyone was after him because when he left his current, his old place, mm -hmm. it was like word on the street. It's, and you've met Brian. Brian yeah. has done a lot of training at Strategies too. And he was one of my leaders and managers. And he said that that was the differenti differentiating factor was that he wanted to, he felt like, okay. I'm more than just a pair of hands. And I love that you guys said when you hire someone, they have two hands, but they also have a free brain. So every, with every pair of hands, you get a free brain. But yeah, he was, in, he's incredible. And, you know, when I was really a, a great leader and I feel like I was a good leader for most of the time, but I've made my mistakes. So I always like to put that out there that it's just not a perfect journey. But when I was doing it really right, I felt like, you know, it was a really, it wasn't a difficult way to run a business when everything is turned on, but when some things are turned on and some things are just neglected, it makes it so much more difficult. Well, let's use Brian as an example. Totally. Because this is a good say. So. Brian, you know, the full book, because that, that's, that's, you know, you know, your career isn't made just because you have the full book. <laughs> that's that the full book doesn't mean you've made it. You know, it means you got a full book. You know, you can still have lousy retention with a full book because you've been doing hair for 50 years <laughs> and eventually you got enough clients to fill up your schedule. But let's use, let's use Brian as an example. So you did that extra hundred thousand in sales that I was talking about before. So Brian was also an educator and he helped develop your people. He helped, he helped run a piece of the business and he had responsibilities. And, you know, so why don't we take some of that 30, 35,000, not all of it, but some of it we could say, let's, let's buy a $25,000 a year stylist or let's buy a $30,000 a year stylist with a little bit of experience to come in and let's take the other $5,000 or whatever, whatever the situation would dictate. And we're going to give Brian an increase because of the extraordinary performance and value and his, con and his contribution to growing the company and it had nothing to do with how much he brought in here and here, here's a really good example so i need and I'm, we're saying brian because he's our example here but this happens all the time brian i need you to train some new people okay how much am i going to get well you know it's for the good of the company yeah, yeah, but what am I going to get? And assuming Brian was on commission. And, you know, we're just going, well, I'll, you know, because if I'm, if I'm not doing hair or skin or whatever the service is, and I'm training other people, I'm losing money. I'm losing tip money. I'm losing money. I'm happy to train, but I need to become, I'll give you $100 a week more, $50 a week or, or whatever. So you get commission on your regular stuff, 
but I'm going to pay you some extra that doesn't necessarily equate to the value of that person for sharing their knowledge to expand uh, the skill capabilities of the company. So, but on team-based pay, if you're paying Brian $30 an hour, 40 an hour, whatever it is, that's how much he makes when he's training people. That's how much he makes when he's working on a piece of the business, whatever piece you have him working on. Yeah, we would have him do all kinds of stuff. He would do, um, he would do stylist check-ins. He would do like, you know, all of the things like he was a peer leader. So he would have all the meetings with everybody. He would be that person for them to go to. And just because he wasn't cranking it out behind the chair, he was still being valued at a full rate. But owner, owners get stuck when, because all they equate is, I only want to pay them when their hands are busy. If the hands aren't bringing in money, I really don't want to pay them anything because they probably pick the commission rate they can't sustain anyway. So, you know, let's pay them an hourly rate. Again, you, you can't, you can't do salary unless they're in some sort of a, a management or administrative position, but you pay them an hourly rate. You know, 80,000 a year, 120, 150,000 a year, 200,000 a year, you can still break down to an hourly rate. There, there's, there's, no, there's no demeaning because someone's working on an hourly rate, you know, and, and I, cr I crack up the, the, you know, the big debate in, in Congress right now with the new uh, uh, relief package that, that Biden wants to put through. You know, they're, they're all complaining about, you know, $15 an hour, you know, oh my God, $15 an hour. And you get your owners going, we're going to have to, and some states and cities are already doing $15 an hour. And it's like, how am I going to do, for God's sakes, if you're worried about minimum wage, if you're having a hard time dealing with $15 an hour, you got a bigger problem. Your employees have a bigger problem. I don't want to pay him $15 an hour. I want to pay him 18, 20, 25 or more, but I got to have a business that generates the revenue and I got to have a team that shows up and focuses on helping the company hit its goal, services and retail and critical numbers, which we will get into. But I think this, this stuff lays the groundwork for the critical numbers. You know, I need a team to help us get there. You know, I turned 71 years old last February 2nd, Groundhog's Day. If everyone would please make a note in their calendar to wish me a happy birthday and gifts are accepted. Happy belated. All right. Yeah, thank you. Um, but, you know, I'm 71. I've been at this a long time. I mean, I was at it a long time before I started strategies in 93. And I have a president, you know, Bruce is president of my company. Michael, who is your coach, is now vice president of education. You know, I got uh, Eric Dukoff in there who, who handles all the marketing and, and in, internal stuff. I mean, I got, a, I got a hell of a team that makes my company work. And when COVID hit, you know, we all had to work from home. And so I started working from home. I was already, I already cut back quite a bit. But last August, I gave my office to Michael. And, you know, I, I don't know if I call myself semi-retired, but I still have to pay attention, but I pay attention to very different things than I, that I paid than when I, I worked in the company full-time doing classes, traveling. I mean, you know, you know what it's like being on the road. I mean, I, I did it for 40 some odd years and 
man, I don't want to get on a plane again. I'm happy they're saying don't fly anywhere. You know, I want to stay home. Um, but you can't grow a company if everything has to happen because your two hands are involved. And the only way I could have a company today, same same thinking applies to salons, spas, med spas, lash companies, barbershops, and whatnot. If you want to grow a company, you have to implement the right systems that are supported by the right leadership in order to make your company self-sustaining slash sustainable, where it's not dependent on your two hands and your 80 hours a week presence in there dealing with every piece of nonsense, crazy stuff, uh, you know, that happens in a business during the day. You know, you, you know, you grow it to have people take care of stuff. I mean, I love it when I go, when I ask a question with my team and I go, well, what's that all about? Ah, you don't need to know about it. Good. I don't want to be aggravated, <laughs> you know, but, but they're, cons you know, they treat it like it's their, co I own hundred percent of strategies. You're interested in buying my company? We can have a conversation. Me? But yeah, you want to buy strategies? How much you got? I don't want to talk about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, wait, but, me? Yeah, you know, but, but what I'm saying is my company is more valuable because I don't even work there. You know, I do my work from home. I got a couple of projects that I work on. I pay attention. I go to a meeting. But you do the same thing in a salon. You know, wasn't always that way. You got to start out small and you got to grow it. But, but the only way you can grow it is by understanding the absolute basic requirements and what it takes to make a business successful. Being busy doesn't mean that salon's making money. Being busy means, you know, means maybe they're, maybe they're pumping enough cash through that there's something not all of it's going down the drain that at least there's enough to keep it going. But if you want to have a profitable, but you know, you can do minimum 10, you could do 12, 15, 18%. Maybe if you dial it in just right, you can do 20% or a little bit more, but certain conditions need to exist, but you need a team to do that. And what you don't need is a team that's competing with one another for client that's my client how come she got the next client and how come yeah and i deserve the yeah, yeah yeah how about this we give clients based on skill a personality match and retention rate how many first-time clients do you retain oh you know they give me about 10 or 15 first-time clients a month and i retain i don't know five six seven percent i don't want to give you any more new clients you know, you're burning through our new clients. I want to give clients to people who, who, who can retain them in the company, not just in their chair. Absolutely. And I told that lands with me like totally because in my salon, we had, um, those stylists who just needed more training. And some of the hardest things would be like to have those conversations. And as a leader, it's difficult to be like, Hey, it's way easier to just be like, okay, well, let's just see how they do. And you know, 
the most difficult conversations are, and I used to just say like, this is harder for me to say than it's going to be for you to hear. Like, I don't want to say this, but like, we need to go back to some training because these retention numbers, even with coaching, you know, I want to make sure that you're set up to win because I want to be feel comfortable sending you everybody and making sure that you have the education and the dialogue and the confidence. And I've had some tears and I, like hysterical tears and wondering, are they going to leave? Are they going to take it the wrong way? And I've had those difficult conversations because I would hire at a beauty school and some people just need more. You guys say it all the time. You're like, how many times do I have to tell them? You tell them until they get it. Like being a leader is hard. And, you know, the retention rate is a huge indicator. And if you're a salon owner, that is the, that was my favorite number to look at. And also the scariest number to look at. And I would always track it back. Cause it's 90 to 120 days. Some of my lived in artists, they would do 120 days. So I'd give them like a curve because their guests come back like 12 weeks and I track it back to, they had something going on in their life. I had one girl and I love her to death. We're very close friends still. And she doesn't work for my company anymore. Um, well, how could she? Cause we closed, but a lot of them came back and work at the network. Most of them work at the network. And, um, I remember looking at her guest retention and she had seen 24 guests, zero came back. And I was just like, Oh my God. 911 fiery pits of hell what is going on and i sat down with her and i was like let's talk about february and they're like oh well that's when this guy broke up with me that's when you know i was doing a show every single night cuz she did this and this and this and it was like okay so i understand why but like coaching in the moment and being present in the moment to notice an issue and doing those callbacks and like running the the feedback and like really catching things in the moment and instead of being reactive so as you were speaking i wrote down a couple of things like mistakes that i had made and um i wrote down cash flow plan versus actual budget and that was the part of my cash flow plan i always was just like i'm not doing this like i don't need to do it um and I always struggled with the discipline of like, like the motivation part of like following through and the powwow every morning. Cause we did powwow every morning. We had a scoreboard every month and we had beautiful artists on our team doing the scoreboards and it was really, really cool. But some of the tedious stuff I was, and I was busy behind the chair doing classes, social media. Like I was a, I'm like an expert in marketing. I'm just going to say it. Like I was an, I am an incredible marketer and I love to do that. So I'd rather spend five or six hours a week marketing, posting, promoting, and filling the books. Like I was great at that. And I have so many ways to help people with that, but cash flow plan versus actual budget. And then actually doing my QuickBooks, I would do it like in six month hits and I would be more reactive instead of proactive. And if I can go back in time, that's something I would work on. And in the future, that's something I have to work on. I also put hiring too fast because I would just say like, if I found someone who was great, I would just be like, I don't want them to get away. And I had that scarcity mindset. So I would, I would hire way too quick. And then the biggest mistake I ever made in my business is not firing quick enough because I had people who had quit and they were just hanging out there. And it totally like the people on the team who are high performers, they see that and it ruins the culture. It destroys from within and it's awful. And, you know, I've had so many situations happen where I was too scared and I was too like 
giving in a sense of like, they'll get over it. They'll be fine. And even if I had sit downs with them and just miserable and like, there's nothing I can even do, but my team who's over there working so hard and showing up and now it's hard for them to show up. It's hard for them to be happy coming to work. It's hard for them to walk in the, the salon because it's so toxic. And I now like believe like you miss a huge opportunity when somebody quits instead of you firing them. Like you miss the opportunity to be the protector of the culture. And if you do the coaching, like I always, my friend was just like, I'm firing this girl tomorrow. And I was just like, wait, have you done everything you can? Um, have you done coaching? Have you done follow-up? Have you done training? Like, have you listened to them? Have you asked them? And if you've done all of those things consistently for like 30 to 60 days and they're not making any improvements, I would even say like six, three weeks, you know, not even like, I feel like if they really want to be there and serve the clients and serve the company, like it should be quick. And, and I just think like to protect your culture, sometimes you just have to like move on. And you say, you know, I would even say like, you're welcome back. If you can come back the person I hired, you know, and those, I don't know if you agree with that or not, but that was some of the biggest mistakes is letting people who have already quit hang around and make my culture toxic. Let me give you an example like that. And, and this is, this is an example I got yesterday. Uh, we're doing our elements class and it's how to build a, uh, company operations manual it's going on right today's the last day and on the chat one of the attendees wrote i have and this is directly related with with what you were saying about client retention and keeping someone too long but she, she said i'm having a really hard time with getting employees the service providers to stop sharing their mobile number with the clients. You know, if a client, well, you know, give me your mobile, you know, but, you know, and, and she goes, how do you, how do you get them to stop doing that? And man, and, you know, and it, it's like, it, it sounds like a really simple issue. And this isn't about, this isn't about, you know, secrecy and, and client lists and who owns the client list. This is about you come to work to do your work and then you want to go home to be home not to have clients calling you on your freaking mobile phone <laughs> you know it's you know to a book an appointment when you're paying a front desk team or they could do online booking you know or they're calling up to ask a favor or can you just come to my house and you know do my hair there and i'll pay you cash you know all, all the crazy stuff and i said here's here's the problem you've let it go on so long that it isn't a problem now. And when it first happened, you didn't address it. You, you, you hesitated. And in my no compromise leadership book, right such there, a good book, right there, my no compromise leadership book, you know, yeah, you know, I write, you know, that that's called compromise. You saw it and it was a pro problem and you let it go because you didn't feel like engaging or some owners are, you know, you know, they have a low tolerance. They, they, they would call saying, hey, you're late and you can't be late again. You need to be at work on time. They go, oh, my God, that's a major confrontation. And some people have a very low tolerance for 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 what they believe is confrontation. Are you one of those? I see you're going to. I was I'm not afraid of confrontation, but I also got too close to my employees. 
like I shared too much with them. I shared too much about the business. I, I wasn't taking care of myself. And I think that to be a good salon owner, you have to take care of yourself and you can't let your issues bleed onto your team because I was totally guilty of that. When someone would quit, I smoked, you know, I smoked, I would go out on strategies all the time and chain smoke cigarettes. I used to smoke cigarettes and I would smoke with my team and I would bitch and moan about the people who had quit. And could you like, what a toxic person, like, and I didn't know I was like craving attention and connection. And, um, go, going back to what you're saying about, um, the confrontation, I was like, I was good at confrontation except when I had gotten too close. So if someone was late, everybody knew like I told them, I was just like, I need you to be on time and I need you to clean up after yourself. The rest will coach as we go. Like, but these are the two things, like my biggest pet peeves, there will be a confrontation face to face in the moment. And they all knew that. So when they would be late, the first time I would say, listen, you can't be late. Like, absolutely not. I don't care what goes on. Call me if call me, but don't just show up here late with a coffee absolutely not. You need to respect my time. And I was very strict on it. Cause I just, it was my biggest pet peeve. And I think that instead of holding on to that, you let them know I was flexible. If something happened, traffic, something like that, but don't sure. just show up here two minutes late to powwow with an iced coffee. No, absolutely not. The second time they did it, I send them home and I just say, you can go home. You're not working today. Like I don't like, I would, I would take their whole book of clients over and just be like, if you're not going to respect my time, please, please go home. And then they would never be late again. Like well, and ever. it's not even about your, that that's respect the company, respect the team. Totally. And like, I know yeah, that that seems super harsh to some people listening. They might be like, oh my God, like I would never do that. But there's some things like if people show up late all the time and you just take it and take it and take it, and then you end up resenting them. Like those were the two things that I was really like firm about with confrontation. And, but I understand how some owners might like be like, oh my God, I can't confront people about stuff. Well, you know, and then and then there there's a whole group of people at the independents that you know hear and go, you know, I don't want to deal with you know even uh, booth rental salons and suites. They go get away from the the nonsense and you know rent a suite and whatnot, and you know and they go you know be free to come and go as you please. Well, guess what? You're the owner, and you're saying you need to respect the hours that you're scheduled to work. And you need to respect that we do huddle powwow first thing in the morning at, at, at this fixed time every day. And you need to be here. And, and that's when work begins. You need to be prepared. And if you're coming in late and everybody else was on time, I don't have a choice. I have to have a conversation with you. And if I talk to you once and I got to talk to you again, you know, by the time it gets to the third time, I, I don't want to deal with it anymore because you didn't get it at the first two conversations. So you got some people need up. more. Some people yeah. need more reminders and more training. And some people never had that structure growing up. And that's something I had to learn too as an owner. And you know, some but, people but the, didn't the, have that. Yeah. The the point the point that I was making is even if you're an independent, maybe you don't report to an owner, but your obligation is to show up and be ready for those clients. So if you're late for the clients and you're an independent, you're your own problem employee. You know, so, you know, when they go, I don't want to work in other, you know, salons have too many rules and, oh, that's a strategy salon and they got all kinds of rules and stuff like that. Structure makes a company great. You and know, think of what you're getting for that, like, 
with booth rental, do you get freedom? Do you get flexibility? Do you get to control your money? Sure. But do you also have to be in charge of your marketing, your client book, your appointments, like everything that the salon is doing with that structure you benefit from too. Um, and that's like huge for me. And I'm like, I love salon owners and I understand just as much as everybody, the struggle, like we give a lot and people are always just like, well, you're taking half of my money. Well, wait a second. You know? So those rules also have such a big benefit, like paying of the payroll taxes, like having a guest care team to check in on your clients, like controlling your appointment book so that when you go home, you go home. And we had a, a system at GBH. And if anyone is struggling with this at the, at their employee-based salon with people giving out numbers, I would tell them this is an auto response that you can type. Uh, if they message you on Instagram to book, we have a full guest care department that we pay very well to service your clients. Let us take care of your guests. And I taught them to be master marketers. Like I taught them Facebook, Instagram, all those things. And if you leave my salon, was I really happy about it when people left? No, but if they leave the salon, they will find you. I, I required my team on their broadbands to post three times a week. That was like part of their job, like um, their requirements is post three times a week and tag the salon. And I taught them how to do that. And did it bite me in the ass? Not really, because at the end of the day, we were having people loyal to the company, but also instead of them stealing from the computer or being sketchy and weird, they built their marketing. And if people want to find them, they can contact them. This is a quick sidebar. I'm speaking to the audience. Uh, Gina mentioned a broadband and a broadband is a tool that we use. Uh, you can call it a career income path. But it says, these are the expectations that we have for you and the work that you do for the company that some of it, you know, it's productivity rate and uh, uh, client retention rate and pre-book and all that stuff. It was like the KPIs, so like the driving yeah, numbers. Yeah, but that, that was only one piece of it. It was also, these are the expectations for skill. I want to make a lot of money. Well, we expect a lot of skill because you're not going to make a lot of money if you don't develop your skill. And then there was the culture and teamwork in the broadband, all the all the all the, the responsibilities that they would have to be part of a team and to support company initiatives, then coach and mentor other people. And then the last part, there are four parts, critical numbers, uh, skill development, culture, culture and leadership. And then the last part of the broadband was uh, individual strengths. You know, can you show up, attendance, uh, the right attitude? I mean, Im Im imagine how you'd change your pay, you know, if you're listening to this and you're kind of intrigued with team-based pay. You know, if you're paying commission, how many people are you paying commission to, whatever the rate is, and you're paying for a really bad attitude? You know, I don't buy bad attitudes. I buy the right attitudes. And if you got a bad attitude, we're going to talk about it or performance or whatnot. But, you know, and I'll reward you for the right. So that's what a broadband is. And, and it shows, you know, here's where you start. And this is how much you can make per hour and annual if you're working full time. But it, it, it you know, commission is here's how much you need to bring in. You're going to get your piece. And I know, you know, some companies do the yeah, retention rate and retail sales and some other stuff where if you do that, you can move to a higher commission rate or you raise your prices or stuff like that. But at the end of the day, <laughs> that, 
that payroll percent needs to live within service payroll needs to be between 30 and 35% on your profit and loss statement for, for the pay that goes to the hands that do the work. But yeah, it, it's broadbands communicate. You mentioned huddles, powwows, got to do a daily huddle. But people come in at all different times who set the schedule up, you know, totally agree. And, like, and, and if they come in at different times, you know, can we kind of get this many in first thing so we can huddle before we start? And then here's the next group that comes in and can we have a huddle with them before we start? But nobody starts the day without being briefed on where we are, you know, two minutes, three minutes, four minutes. It's all you need. Here's where we are. Here's where we need to be. Here's what's happening in the salon today. But when I say, here's where we are, it's the salon goal. It's the company goal. You know, if it's, uh, you know, the 15th of the month, then you got to be somewhere around 50% the goal as a company. Well, I'm book solid and I have a waiting list. I don't care. Are we halfway to goal? It's the 15th of the month. And if we don't, how about getting some clients that are on your waiting list into some of the chairs and, and hours that we have available for sale with some very competent people? Because really busy and really slow in the same company is the problem that you talked about before where you hired way too many people and you almost went broke doing it because you couldn't support that level of payroll. You couldn't. didn't have enough business. So, you know, you want to talk about all the critical numbers? Yeah, you if you that? want to, if you're open to, yeah, this is like just so great. And I think that anybody thinking about team-based pay, like, I'm just, I'm just going to confirm, like you created this. This is your thing. I, I, I created a uh, hourly plus team bonus business model for the professional industry. service industry for, for the salon spas. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but for whatever it's worth, I, I've, I helped a, uh, high end, uh, women's boat, women's boutique in El Paso, Texas, go from commission salespeople because it was, that's my cut that, Oh, that's so-and-so's customer. I'm going to let them, let someone else take care of them. And she heard about our team because one of our, our team-based pay salons were in the area and uh, I helped her put in team-based pay. I put team-based pay into a uh, industrial seatbelt company. You know, it works hourly, you know, pay for performance works. Numbers may be different, but it's still all about growing a company. It's not just about people building a following. I totally that, agree. That, and I just point. like want everybody to know if you're interested in this, like you're hearing it straight from the person who has been doing it for so long, who knows the pain points, who have talked to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of salon owners and helped them with this and like has heard every excuse, has heard every pain point. And, you know, this is something that works. And I think like, you know, I started this when I was like 22 or 23 years old and I if I only had my salon, I feel like I was on my way to having one of the best team-based companies in the world. And if I only had that, I, I, I just like was focused in so many other areas and just so young. But I, if I you, I don't know how you, you handled the salon and all your training classes and your social media and all the other stuff that was really extraordinary things that you were into um, but especially the travel and, and all the work that went into, you know, 
that's why I, I, I made sure that my company had the systems in place. So if I'm out on the road, which again, for many years, I mean, it was, you know, I was on the road, you know, three, at least three weekends a month on average, you know, doing shows and classes and coaching and whatnot. And sometimes I'd go, you know, months without a weekend off. And, you know, but I couldn't be away from the company if I didn't have the right structure in place to take care of it. And that, and that, that, that speaks to you and it speaks to anyone who's, uh, of course, nobody's doing much travel these days, you know, but, you know, someone who's a platform artist or they work for product manufacturer, um, you know, you, you can't be away from your company and think it's going to run on autopilot unless you put the systems in place and, and uh, the accountability in the right place and, and you had the right leadership and you built the right culture. That mm. takes work. It's a lot of work. Yeah. And sometimes it takes more time than you think. And you're not always ready. Like I was really focusing on the business that I want and I neglected the business that I had. And like, I, that, that was my business school. Like I take it as such a beautiful lesson and I'm really proud of what I did there. Um, and I'm proud of the artists that I helped build and all the education that I did. So I don't, I just open up about my mistakes for anyone listening who might be doing these things and being like, damn, like look in the mirror sometimes. Cause it's not always everybody else else's fall. And I had that story all the time of, Oh, well, this person did this, or this person left. And it's not always everybody else. Have I been hurt and have I been done dirty? Hell yeah. But like at the end of the day, we can always grow and be bigger. And I love that you said like presence in the salon. And if you don't have that presence, whether it's with management leadership, all of that, or your presence, like your presence is a present. And I think that that's one of the biggest things. And my question was going to be, who do you think is best to run a team-based pay? Like what characteristics do they have to have? And I would definitely say presence being one of them. Well, I, I think the first thing, presence, yes, because you need to be present. Um, but you have to be passionate about business. I mean, we, we, coach, we coach a lot of companies, a lot of owners. And, you know, small, big, you know, a couple employees, you know, I think our biggest customer right now is six, six salons and a, and a beauty school and, and has been team-based since the late, went, uh, went through his, uh, Mark, Mark, uh, the Mark Pardo salons, uh, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, owner's name is Mark Gonzalez. And if you looked at his profit and loss statement and his balance sheets, I mean, they reflect the model that we teach. And Mark went on team. I mean, he came to his first incubator in 1998, I think it was. Um, I'd love to talk to him too and just hear like his advice for salon ownership. I mean, he's he's a great guy. He's very passionate about business and loves the leadership piece. And he still does here one day a week. Yeah, but but here's the thing. Who who was team-based pay for? It's not for someone who is all about the, the, the creative and, and doesn't want anything to do with numbers and doesn't want to deal with, with, with disciplines like, you know, putting systems in place, uh, performance reviews. You know, my joke has always been, it's one of my nihilisms in my No Compromise book which is, do you do quarterly performance reviews at least once a year? <laughs> yeah. 
And, you know, if, if you're telling an employee you're going to do a performance review in 90 days, that's a contract. Put it, on, it, the, happen, put it on the schedule. And if it didn't happen in 90 days, you, you, you blew it. You broke trust. So the owner to run a team-based pay company needs to be financially uh, literate. Doesn't mean you have to be an expert at numbers, but you got to be able to look at a profit and loss statement, and understand what it says. You got to be able to look at your balance sheet and understand what it's telling you, because it tells you how healthy your company is. And it, and it, and they're easy to read. Now, they're really easy to read. Um, and then there's a thing called the cash flow plan that you mentioned before, which is saying, here's these are my projections for the next 12 months, month by month. Uh, sales projections are productivity rate or I'm sorry, how many hours do I have available for sale? Where do those hours come from? How many service providers do you have? How many hours a week are they scheduled to work times 4.3? Or how many hours a month do you have available to sell on the appointment book? That's 100%. Then, <clears throat> um, so if you have 1,000 hours, 2,000 hours available for sale, what what's your target for productivity rate? 80%. Yeah. Do you want to sell 80%? Well, if you're at 60 right now, you got a problem. You got more hours. You're paying people, even on commission. You're paying them because commission pay is a variable hourly rate. This is important. You know, if they're really busy, they have a high hourly rate. If they're really slow, they have a low hourly rate. But you still take how much did they make gross pay? divided by how many hours they had to be at work in the business. And, you know, all commission can be broken down to hourly rate. So, you know, if you, if you take, um, I forgot where I was going. So if, if you take, you know, the, the, the hourly rate and your productivity rate, oh, so it's hours available for sale times your target productivity rate. If you're at 60%, you got a problem. You have too many people. Maybe you need to let someone go, sorry, or you need to get really focused on getting that productivity rate up fast because it, it's draining the business. Idle hands, idle minds, wrecks the culture. So hours for sale times productivity rate times how much can one hour of service in your company generate? The easy way to figure that out is, you know, take how much you did in service sales for the month and divide it by how many hours you sold. And that's going to tell you how much one hour of service is generating for you right now. So when you do productive uh, hours for sale times productivity rate times revenue per hour, here's how much you should do in service sales for that month. I think and you guys have spreadsheets. You guys have like for part of your membership with strategies are these incredible spreadsheets and uh, just tools to use. Like I miss those so much. Can I get those? Yeah. Well, well, <laughs> Can you give me a dummy account? Yeah, yeah there, there maybe, you know, he's there's, like, hell there's, no. <laughs> there's things there's magic that can happen. Oh my God. Yeah. Those are so, if I miss anything more, I mean, oh God, do I miss the classes? I can't wait. Like I will come back to the classes, but I just, Oh my God, those spreadsheets were like a game changer. But but it's a, and all the spreadsheets do is it tells you where you are and it also helps you define how to make the numbers better. So if you boost your productivity rate 
and you don't hire any more people, you generated more revenue with your existing resources. There's, there's a lot more to that, but that, that, that's the short piece. Oh yeah, totally. So, so someone's, you know, and you have to do a cash flow plan, you know, March 1st is this coming Monday. So whenever you air this, but, uh, March 1st is this coming Monday, you know, how much you want to do in total service sales in March? How much you want to do in total retail sales? It's not hard to figure out hours for sale times productivity rate times what one hour of service can generate. Are you due for a price increase? Will it increase the, you know, what one hour can generate? Um, but that gives you a number and, it, and, and you share that number with your employees. This is what the company needs to do in service sales. This is what the company needs to do in retail. And man, if you're one of those owners that go, you mean tell them the whole real number? Yeah. What are they going to do? You're not giving them the checkbook, <laughs> you know? You got to tell, you know, otherwise, I only want them to know what their numbers are. Well, then stay on commission. Because commission is about what they did, not what the company did. I want people to say, listen, I know we're short of gold. I have a couple of clients that are due for color. And I know we've got some time available. Let's contact those clients and get them in for the color because we got the color on file. And I'm going to be right there to check it. And I don't mind doing that because if we can hit our goal and I don't have to do the sales, the service myself, <clears throat> I support that. So, and then here's what we need to do in retail sales. How do you do retail sales? You give clients recommendations and those recommendations need to get to checkout and your guest services staff at checkout needs to say, Neil recommended this, this, and this. Would you like to take it home with you? And the other piece is, you know, so, so, that, so you got to do projections, cash flow, not hard. And we've seen owners labor over it and their heads explode. And once they figure it out, it's so ridiculously simple once you figure it out. It, it, and we teach you how to do that and we hold you accountable to that. You know, so productivity rate is a key number. Um, where's pro, what do you do to drive productivity rate? Well, how about we pre-book? And you posted that thing in, in, our, in our Facebook idea exchange, the strategy salon spa business idea exchange. Everybody needs it's to be in Facebook there. Facebook group. You know, if you, if, salon, spa, I'll strategies, salons, yeah, link it. And answer the two questions. You have to be the owner of a salon or at least employed by one of what your title is. But if you don't answer the questions, we don't let you in because we don't let anybody in who's selling hair extensions and scissors and equipment and medical masks and crap like that. Um, but you just posted something a week or so ago like you heard somewhere in your travels, you know, you heard, well, a pre-book is, is a thing of the past. No freaking way. I just you know, hate you, that. You want to drive, you want to drive productivity rate or then, then you got a pre-book. What's pre-book? It's selling time in the future. How do we drive selling? How do we drive selling time in the future? No client leaves a chair or a treatment room without a pre-book date and the product recommendations that goes to checkout front desk doesn't say would you like would you like to pre-book your next appointment front desk says 
you know, Gina needs to see you again on or about a certain date, or this service needs to be done on or about a certain date. Do you like the morning or the afternoon? And we have this person, that person, and this person available, which is saying, you don't have to come back to the same person, which is not to take anything away from anybody. It's to get our productivity rate up so we can pay people better. How do we do that? If we can bring in another $100,000, we have another 30 to 35,000 that we can use to increase payroll. And if we don't have to hire anybody, you know, we can give raises out. Maybe to everybody, but I'm not gonna give a raise to someone who can't get to work on time and they have a bad attitude and they can't do retail recommendations and I should have fired them a long time ago. But I, I fell asleep. I would go as far as even saying, like, I took one of your courses, I believe it was the front desk training course or the manager course, I forget, or maybe it was incubator, but I came back like fired up about pre-book. I was like, so fired up about it because I think our pre-book was at like 30 or 40%. So I had a bunch of iPads that I had bought for the salon for portfolios. Like I was literally like, okay, everyone get all of your pictures and we're going to have a lookbook on the thing. I used to just blow my money anyways. So, um, I had all these iPads on the color bar and I came back and it, the first thing I did was a training. And I said, guys, from now on, what we're going to do is we're going to get the pre-book during the consultation during. And if you have no openings, like if you have something easy, like some of my girls were like really great at corrective and blonde and all that. And if they have the root gloss haircut, simple service, all of them had an assistant for that. They were training as they were working for at least six months to a year. So if that's a perfect opportunity to say like, okay, like, I know you love Wednesdays at five. Oh, I'm not available next Wednesday at five, but, um, Sally is, and she would love to see you. I mean, you've already known her. She's just getting started and she's like, would love to take care of you. And the guests would be like, yeah, sure. Cause they were loyal to the company and they wanted to see Sally grow. Cause Sally's doing the shampoo and she's part of the service. And it was like a beautiful way to grow and getting the pre-book during like really just ranting and raving the whole time about how busy you are and Where'd how you valuable your, your time is. So you were at like 35% or so pre-book. And then we were at 80, 90. Yeah. And, and that's, what's incredible is you can get there in a week. A week, yeah. It, it, but the pre-book is the biggest, quickest turnover that you can but you can't. But you can't get there if you don't have a system. And a system takes training and coaching. And accountability. And it, and it, takes, it takes leadership slash accountability. And, you know, how many times do you have to tell them, man, I'm pre-book? I would tell them every day, all day, until we got our pre-book rate to, you know, 75, 80, 90 percent because the higher that pre-book rate imagine first-time clients you know first-time client retention for most salons and spas usually but this can be lower because it's, it's not like hair hair it grows back um but first-time client retention 30? rates are like 30 32 35 percent we were um, at 55 yeah but but if client if you get 100 new clients in a month and 75 or I'm sorry, 65 or 70% of the hundred don't come back to anybody, you got a problem. You're burning through opportunity. So, and, and the problem is skill. The problem is pre-book. The problem is uh, better, better systems at the front desk, better scripting, you know, and and you want to get that productivity rate up, you want to get the first time client retention up, you got to do the pre books. 
but nobody goes to check out without a pre-book. And this, this is interesting. I found, I found that there are salons where you, there's a correlation with pre-booking and retail. Well, I don't, I don't like to retail. I don't, I don't want to be pushy. You know, it's pushy and, you know, sell something. And they get the same way with pre-booking. It's your job. I don't want. I don't want to be pushy and you know and 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 pre-book. Well, you know, I went to the dentist uh, Monday. They they used to pre-book six months out at the desk. Now they're doing it while you're still sitting in the chair. They bring up the appointment book and they schedule your next visit. And they don't say, "Well, do you want to come back in six months, or do you want to you want to get a root canal?" <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, it is, it, it's a system and it, it, nobody leaves without a pre book date and it's the client's prerogative to say, nah, I really can't make it. I don't know my calendar with, Oh, ball. You got your calendar on your phone. You got your phone in your hand. You know? If I don't make an appointment, I'm not going. Well, the, the other thing is people, this is, this is a, a sidebar. Uh, we have online booking. Turn the goddamn online booking off and pre-book the clients when they leave. I'm not saying you have to turn it off, but if you have online booking, clients, you know, you're saying, I'm going to let the client pre-book. So they're going to pre-book two months out instead of six weeks or five weeks. And the more they book out, the more clients you need to stay busy rather than getting one client to come in when they should be coming in. It, you're the professional, you control it. But we've seen a direct correlation between people who get really uncomfortable with retail and, and some of that goes over to pre I don't want to be pushy. You know, for God's sakes, the hair's going to grow back. We did the research. We measured it. It's going to have to get done again. Book the appointment. Absolutely. And the thing with turning off your, your pre-book, I'm only saying that because too many salons and spas and whatnot, they, well, we have, they can book 24 seven. You're the professional control, the relationship, <clears throat> excuse me, make your best recommendation for what that, what the service needs for maintenance, schedule the appointment before they leave. And, and online booking is a backup. Yes. That's what, that's what it should be. It's not your frontline booking and you shouldn't let it be. Absolutely. Because whether, whether you're I, a salon or an independent, I totally agree. And right now there's like this big, um, shift in the industry and there's a lot of business educators teaching that pre-book is out like, um, and they will say like, you know, don't pre-book everyone. And I get it. I get where they're coming from and I have respect for them, but I always think like there's so many other solutions for the challenges that stylists have by being overbooked, like doing a price increase would be one thing. Um, scheduling your hours first, like your boundaries first, working the schedule that you like. Um, there's a lot of different things. Like if you're overbooked and going crazy and you're just like, I can't pre-book or I don't have enough openings and, or I'm booked out 12 weeks and I have no time in the future. Like I totally understand that pain point, but really before you open your books for the year, going in, booking your schedule, 
having your prices dialed in, like if you're 80, 90, hundred percent, 200% booked. And I use that as a badge of honor. I was like, I'm 200% booked bitches. And literally I was burnt out, not giving a great experience. And I was like resentful of everybody because I was killing myself behind the chair making sure your prices are dialed in, making sure your value matches the price, making sure that you're giving a great guest experience, putting your schedule first, scheduling breaks and lunches, um, making sure that you have your vacations and everything set up. You're working the schedule that you love. All of those things are solutions. And I would say like pre-booking your guests. And and at the end of the day, if you have to move an appointment, you have to move an appointment and it's not the end of the world. It's just hair. Like I, I know that people don't like that, but at the end of the day, if your client base is going to be mad at you, you have the wrong client base and you're training them that it's unacceptable for you to have a life. And those aren't the clients I want in my chair. If I have to reschedule something, even if it's five minutes before for a personal reason or for a mental health reason, or, um, something came up, I'm just going to be like, Hey, I have to move you and I will figure out a way, um, if it's last minute or something. But if you have guests who are going to be irritated with you for rescheduling six weeks out or something, or if you book out like too many appointments, you got to make some changes, you have the wrong clients. And I would say pre-book everybody have a beautiful online booking system. And then what we would do to close the service, we would, we wouldn't consider the service. Like we wouldn't, cause we had the work tickets and everything. And we wouldn't consider that client like checked out until two days later when we did the guest callback. So the guest callback was, Hey, Sally, it's Gina from Gina Bianca hair. How are you? I'm good. Okay, great. I was just calling, check in, see how you're enjoying your new hair. Let them share with you. And we had the forms and I got them all on my desk. How are you enjoying your new hair? How was the experience at the salon? Is there anything you want Gina to know about the service? Um, and I, I noticed you have your next appointment scheduled. Great. Or if not, we would pre-book it then. And if they didn't want it pre-booked, we would send out the online booking. So we, we considered the service complete then like that was our system and it worked beautifully. And, um, my biggest mistakes were when I hired too many people at once. And, and I just wasn't ready to hire. So otherwise, you know, when we're doing it and we're following those systems and people are coming back and they're getting that level of experience, it's a beautiful thing. And if you're struggling with those pain points, a lot of it comes down to boundaries, systems, accountability, and standing up for yourself and saying like, Hey, I don't want to do these services anymore. Or, Hey, I'm wicked underpriced and I need a price increase or, Hey, I need a scheduling boundary or, Hey, I need to have two phones, you know, or, or all of those things that people struggle with. And not pre-booking isn't the answer. Pre-book is the answer because how do we grow our business? Average ticket, frequency of visit, new clients, right? Those are like the three main ways we grow. And if you stop pre-booking, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. So I love that we're talking about pre-book. It's something I'm so passionate about. And I think that, you know, we can talk about the four business outcomes and eight big drivers on another episode. What do you think? <laughs> I'm fine with that. This I'm is so great. That. Like Four business outcomes, just, just, just so we, we do. There's four outcomes. Everything you do in your business has an outcome. First outcome that you pay attention to is productivity. All things engaged in uh, productivity, right? Hours available for sale versus hours sold. Uh, working within time standards. You know, someone's really busy. No, they're really slow because they take a long time to do it and they take all day. So they're busy all day. But, but, but it took them two hours to do a one hour service. All right. So all things, productivity, efficient use of time, money, people, uh, profitability, you're in business 
to make a profit. And when you have a business and you have employees and you're not an independent contractor, then profit is above and beyond your pay. It's your second paycheck. If you make, keep it nice, if you make 100000 a year as the owner of the company, why not make another 100000 as profit? Now, you may have to take that profit and reinvest it back in the business, but all this means is you got to do a million in sales to get about $100,000, $100,000 salary and then have a, 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 at least a 10% net profit. So profitability, ha profitability happens by design. It's an outcome. It doesn't happen by accident. Productivity is an outcome. It doesn't happen by accident. Third one is staff retention. Oh my God. Um, I don't want to train them to leave. Well, then don't train them and, and wreck your business. Because, you know, we're, we're a skill-based business. You have to train people and you have to train employees to represent the brand that you're promising to the customer. So staff retention is critical. If you have a lot of turnover, we use a line often called people quit leaders, not companies. My, so, my audience has heard me say that on here. Yeah, I mean, do they, do they, do they quit the leader or are they quitting because, you know, if they're quitting because they want to go do their own thing or they want to start their own business or, or it's time for them to move to the next thing, that's fine. But if they're leaving and they're sad about leaving, that's great. But if they're leaving because they can't stand working for you and they've had enough of it, then the owner's the problem. And we, and we got to fix the owner and we got to fix the culture. And we got to fix the systems. So productivity, profitability, staff retention. And then the last outcome is client loyalty. And loyalty to the business, not just loyalty to the name at the top of the column. Yeah, I want everyone to get paid well and I want people to be paid really, really well based on their overall performance, which could be a hell of a lot more than whatever they're making on commission. But you got to get away from commission. Commission is yesterday's news. The I, me, mine, and I get a piece and, you know, hey, can you help me with this? Yeah, I'll help you do the foil color, but what, how much do I get of that? You know, can you sweep the floor? I'm not paid to do that. Well, yes, you are. Come on, snap out of it. You know, but pay based on overall performance and having a controllable payroll, that's, that's where it's at. So those are the four business outcomes. There's eight drivers that go with each, which we're not going to get into. But here, here's the thing, and I, I just want to kind of summarize everything we've been talking about. Team-based pay is something that people hear and they need to hear. And it's worth your time and investment to learn all about it and learn it from the company that created it and has been teaching it for over 27 years, not someone that goes, oh yeah, team-based pay, and they're teaching you how to do team-based pay and all they're doing is getting you from commission to hourly. It, that, that, that won't work because then you're, you're on, on not commission, you're not on team-based pay. Uh, so, you know, we teach what we are now calling the strategies business system. And 
we're putting team-based pay in there as part of the system, but it's not team-based pay and I do that and everything's going to be better. Team-based pay is one of the pieces that makes the team-based business model work and you need to learn how to do it. It's, it, it's, you can't fake it till you make it. You can get in trouble and it's not that it's dangerous. It's just commissions for giving, you know, if sales are up. Yay. We're making money. But when sales are down, oh, nobody's making any money, you know, and when you go on team-based pay, you're committing to a payroll. And, you know, like when you said earlier on that, well, you know, I, I overstaffed, you know, you brought too many people on. If your productivity rate was 60, 65%, people were, had nothing to do for 35, 40% of the time they were there. Oh, I kept them busy. Yeah. Well, all right. But, but you're, but you're paying for <laughs> not revenue producing. Exactly. You know, so you got to learn how all these pieces fit together and, and, and you need to come to incubator incubators four-day course we've been doing it we actually it's funny we started doing it online uh before the pandemic hit and now they've all been online we have another one starting uh uh in a couple of weeks in in mid-march and uh we do them every month or so i would take it again i'm signing up you know a lot of people have gone through it and, and every time they go through it again they go did you change it well we changed a couple of little things but you hear the first time it's a lot of stuff and it's like the kitchen sink. Um, the second time you're, you're now you're looking for those, those little bits and pieces that you missed. Um, and, and, and you, you make your money back on incubator. You know, even if team-based pay, well, it sounds great, but I'm not ready to do that. Um, footnote, do you want to do it the way you're doing it for another five years, getting the same results that you're getting? in another five years or just more of the same, or do you want to build something different? And do you want a company where you can take control over it, not in a bad way or a dictatorial way, but take, take control of your company as a leader needs to, and really help grow your people, take care of them, offer benefits, but understand what do you have to do to be able to pay benefits? And what are the numbers, you know, so there's so much more to it. So learn the business system in its entirety, and you can make your own decision if team-based pay is right for you. We believe it is, and I, I hate when we go, well, it's not for everybody. Well, we know it's not for everybody because not everybody wants to do the work. You just lost a ton of weight, right? Yeah. All right. I mean, my father was obese and he died a month before his 60th birthday because he was obese his whole life. He was 240 pounds when he died, but it was too late. And, and, and he was three, 300 and some odd pounds most of his life. And 240 was the lowest. We only passed it on the way up. And I know, I know how hard it is to lose weight. And, but you can't go on a diet and not follow the diet or the fitness or, you know, whatever you're being conscious of to lose the weight. And it, you're, you know, you're fooling yourself to think you can lose the weight if you don't work the plan. Well, you can't grow a business if you don't work the plan. And there's certain disciplines in business that you need to follow. 
that all businesses need to follow. And what makes the beauty industry more of a challenge is because it's so labor intensive. And then there's the relationship between, you know, the service provider and the client. Not that we want to break that. We want to be available to the client, but we want to do it in a smarter, more professional way. So learn the system. Learn how it all comes together. I know you're going to post, you know, some stuff out there. Yeah, I will link on, a ton of resources for yeah, you guys. And if you're going on, if you, if you know, if you want to go on a team-based pay diet, you got to be committed to go all the way. Because if you're not, it's not going to work for you. And you're going to continue to get more of what you got. And if you're doing really good now, that's great. But what happens when you hit the, the bump in the road? A couple of people say, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to go do my own thing, whatever. You know, businesses shouldn't blow up because some people want to go somewhere else. It puts you in the driver's seat and it doesn't really rely on everybody else for your business to be successful. Grow a company. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you're building something that you're going to want to sell someday. And so you want to create value to your business and salons have an absolutely horrendous resale value because of how they're designed. So let's design it right. And let's design it that when somebody comes in to look at your business, you show them how it works. And these are all the things we do to make our business work. And if you buy it, we already did the hard work. You just need to learn how we did it so you can take the system and run with it. But just having busy people with full books working in a space doesn't mean you're going to sell. If you're doing a million in sales, doesn't mean you're going to get 1.2 million for your company. Not if it's not making money, not if it's not running efficiently, not if it can't retain people, not if it can't retain clients. So you're building that at the end of the day, if you own a business, you're building value. That that's absolutely that's awesome for today. Yeah. I mean, this is great. I feel like there was so much value here and so many ways people can grow just by listening to this episode. And, um, I really am so appreciative of you, Neil, because you've helped me understand so much and, uh, the foundation that you've taught me. I mean, I would do incubator. I think I've done incubator like three times. I would do it again because you do learn something new every single time. If you guys are curious about it, I've linked everything for you, no matter where you're watching this YouTube, uh, Spotify, Apple, it's going to be right underneath for you guys. So you can get the info and I'm just so grateful for you all to listen and really honored to share with you my mentors and the people who helped me get where I am today. So thank you so much, Neil. I really appreciate you. And I just can't wait for everyone to hear this. I'm proud of you, Gina. I'm really proud of, of what you've, what you built for yourself. Thank you so much. And thank you for letting me be your mentor. My pleasure. <laughs>